Welcome to Encore on Binge Reading, the show where we invite back authors who've already been on the joys of binge reading to talk about their latest book. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and today we have Canadian rom-com author Roselle Lim. But before we get to Roselle, as usual we've got a giveaway for our listeners, 10 free copies this week of Sadie's Vow, the first book in my new Home at Last series. You can enter the draw to win one of those 10 books with the links that are on the show notes for this episode on the joysofbingereading.com website. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, leave your comments wherever you listen to your audio so others can hear about us too. But now, here's Rizal. So welcome to the show, Rizal. It's wonderful to have you back with us. Look, you were last on Binge Reading in February 2021 with a fabulous rom-com called Vanessa Lou's Magical Paris Tea Shop. It featured in the best of the 2021 books in the end, and that was terrific because it, that was only your second novel, so it wasn't as if you had a great series behind you. Now, this new book is Sophie Goes Lonely Hearts Club, and it continues that rom-com theme of Canadian Chinese girl finding her way in life and getting herself established. Sophie is a newly minted professional matchmaker with a rather overpowering mum, located in Toronto. And I wondered, what was the biggest challenge for you in writing the story? It, the biggest challenge for me, well, first of all, the book is a retelling, a loose retelling of the Snow White fairy tale. So in the fairy tale, you do have that evil stepmother, right? Yes. And in this one, for me, it is portraying to me a realistic version of what it is like when you are suffering from emotional abuse from a parent, or in this case, both. Yes, because the father in the story is very much overpowered by the mother. So he is more interested in placating his wife than in looking after his daughter's interests, isn't he? Yes, he's very much the enabler. A common formula or a dynamic when that kind of abuse happens in the family. I think that you drew on the fairy tale aspect because your work is often referred to as magical realism. How close do you think you are to that description of magical realism? I wanted to imbue magic as an ordinary magic into this. And Sophie in particular, it's about the red threads and being able to see them and how they link people together. And this is how soulmates are viewed by Sophie and by the reader. And yes. I like having the subtle magic in there. And I think for magical realism, there is a cultural cornerstone to it. And I believe I've established that my Chinese culture yes. as the background. Yes. She's desperate to prove herself and earn a living as a matchmaker so she doesn't have to return to living with her parents. And in this desperation, she takes on a group of elderly gents as possible candidates for matchmaking because she just wants to develop a backlist of people who've used her services and can give her good reports. I wondered if there was any personal link for you with either a friend or an older person in your life who you'd seen really wanting to have another partner? 
I haven't, but this is more of a love letter to all of this time that I've spent with my grandparents because I spent every weekend with them growing up. It's just being around them and writing this book lets me have that experience again in a way. Yes. That's very central to the heart of the story, a conviction that romantic love is something that we can experience at any age and stage of our lives. Is that something that's close to your heart? Yes, it is, because I honestly believe that human beings, we can be lonely creatures. And for some people, and more power to them, if they're happy being alone, that's great. But for a lot of us, you want companionship. And I don't think that there should be an expiration date or time for that. Yeah, that's wonderful. The role of the professional Mm. matchmaker, that's what Sophie is wanting to develop a career in as a professional matchmaker. And as you've mentioned, the red threads are like her intuitive connection with the people around her, that she gets visual clues in her mind about the things that are happening and, and almost like the vibes that they're giving off. It's almost a similar thing to reading auras. Is the role of a professional matchmaker still something that exists in Chinese society today, or is it more of an antique thing? I think it still does, because there's a lot of, there's still a lot of matchmakers. It's similar to South Asian or Indian matchmaking. It's still there because there's a lot of tradition behind it. In the case of Chinese matchmaking, a lot of it, I believe, is more rooted in numerology and, you know, the study of numbers when people are born and all of that. And that plays more of a role in making matches. Yes. So she's got a sixth sense. Earlier in the series, you had different characters, but a similar theme. And I think in the first book, your character fought against the idea that she had this gift. She did, at the beginning, she didn't want to accept the gift. Now in this character of Sophie, she's really embracing it. Has that been a development for you too, in terms of the characters and the stories? Just like the idea that you can choose your own destiny. And that's very much, I guess, a Western concept in that growing up, you try to do your best to follow what your parents intend for you. So I like the idea of exploring the whole manifesting your own destiny and choosing what you want for yourself instead of what the social and familial expectations are placed upon you. Yes, that happens in many cultures, of course. And I know that in an early, our earlier chat, you mentioned for yourself that your parents had certain hopes and wishes for how your life was going to develop. And being a full-time writer wasn't necessarily part of that picture. How is that now with three books out? Have they come to accept that you are a full-time writer? I think so. But a lot of it, I think, has to do with the fact that my parents are extremely busy with their really young grandchildren to even think about anything else outside of keeping these tiny little humans happy and out of trouble. That's a gift for you, is it? (laughs) Yes, it's my sister's children, though, in this case. (laughs) Your first book, Natalie Tan's Book of Love, and fortune was picked up by television at one stage. I wonder, has there been a development in that? And and can you give us an idea of if we're going to see it on screens anytime soon? There is 
development on that. And I can't say anything. The announcement should be coming up soon. I would say stay tuned to social media and whatnot, because yes, something is happening with all three books. Oh, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. We'll we'll try and keep an eye on that and see how it develops. Food still plays a large part in this story, like it did in the previous ones. And, and it's partly your own passion for eating out and enjoying food. I wondered how you've managed over the last couple of years with all of this pandemic lockdown stuff. Have you been a bit deprived? I have been, but I made up for it in developing a pandemic skill. A lot of people I have read and heard have learned how to make bread. I was not one of those people, unfortunately. What I did learn, though, is how to shuck oysters. And that's something that I've always wanted to do. And I've taught myself how to do it. Very proud because it is so much cheaper to buy oysters on your own and shuck them versus eating them at a restaurant. <laughs> and I, is it a difficult art to learn? I must admit I don't even eat oysters. So is it difficult to do? It, it is, especially if you're the type of person who, who can easily hurt themselves with sharp objects. It sounds like you might be one of those, are you? <laughs> no, I did okay. I actually did okay. And it was by kit from Amazon. And I went from there. And with each subsequent shell that I've opened, I've gotten better at opening them up. It does take a little bit of brute force to get them open. <laughs> yes. This book that we're discussing is number three. You mentioned before we started recording that you've got number four with your publisher at the moment. But tell me, in the process of writing, have you noticed a change in the way that you approach the books or your process as you go through them with the writing of each one? Have you developed different habits or ways of working? It's more of planning. I'm more of a planner now than I have been. And I've also been very liberal about rewarding myself when I hit milestones, which is really great. When I hit the mid mark, I'm going to be going out and grabbing myself some fried chicken <laughs> as a reward. So how many words are the books generally? 80 to 85,000. Uh -huh. What are your reward milestones? It's usually something small. For 10000 each, it would be just chocolate. But if halfway through, definitely need something. And around the last third mark is usually when I hit this wall where I have to let it sit for a few days and mm -hmm. think that it's just that wall and I know it's coming. Just let it sit and then I keep going. And at the end, when I finally finish the book, it's a nice dinner out. Uh, how many hours a day would you be at your typewriter or your computer PC keyboard? I try to aim more for hitting the word count of 2,000 words, 2,000 to 2,500 a day. Right now, I'm 1,500. I'm getting there. It takes me a bit to get to speed, too. It's all about habit and establishing routine. Yes. And so do you normally write in the morning? I do. It's yeah. for me, it's trying to cut down the distractions of everything. And when I say distractions, it's not necessarily picking up my phone and playing a game or checking my mail. It's more of 
getting up to see what the cat is up to or getting up to try to get something to eat. It's those little things that just kind of creep in your mind. I actually do write better if I'm out at a coffee shop because I don't have all those other little mini distractions plaguing my brain. Tell us a bit about, as much as you can, about the book that's with the publisher at the moment. Is it still in this rom-com theme, that one? It isn't. It, it's it's a fantasy. This will be published, I believe, under a different imprint, uh-huh. a fantasy imprint. And it is set in an antique shop in London, um, Westminster, where I stayed when I visited there in 2019. And it's about two, two people who are exes being trapped in situations where they have to work together and add into that formula gods and ghosts and what happens as a result. <laughs> it's still under your name. This yes. yes, even the YA, the young adult that I'm working on will be under my name. I figure might as well keep it and see what happens. If Neil Gaiman can do it, I could just keep the same name. Yeah, that's great. We always like to ask about reading habits because our listeners are avid readers. And so I'd just like to check in with you. What have you been reading lately and you really enjoy, would like to recommend? I have a book recently released by a friend of mine, Annette Christie. It's for twice in my life. It's all about choices and forgetting. I believe she has the amnesia and she has to make a choice between two men. It's very interesting. And I've been trying to read more young adult fantasy as well because I'm writing in the genre now. And the recent one that I finished that I really enjoyed was The Luminaries by Susan Dennard. Mm-hmm. This one that you were mentioning for, for twice in my life, is that a fiction or a nonfiction? This is a fiction. It is definitely fiction. a fiction. So if you like rom-coms, you'll definitely enjoy Annette's book. And she's a dear friend of mine. <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. So just tell us a little bit, looking ahead in the next 12 months, what have you got on your desk? When is the deadline for this book you're working on now? The YA, I believe, will be published in January 2025. So no books this year. As for the fantasy, I believe it's going to be published next year in 2024. So this year, it would just be a lot of edits and writing. Okay. And is the 2024 one got a title yet? Night for Day. Night for day. I believe, yes. That was the working title, and my editor said, oh, I like it. It can stay. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's great. That's wonderful. And is life back to normal for you now? How's Toronto post-pandemic? It's still, there's still a lot of cold and a lot of, like, I have a school-aged child in the house, and, you know, they're the vectors for germs and they bring everything home still. And masking is no longer compulsory in schools. So she will bring something home and it's a game of disgusting plague hot potato between me and my husband when she does. <laughs> That's lovely, Rosario. Well, look, thank you so much for being with us today. It's a pleasure to have you on again. Thank you so much for having me. Bye now. Bye. Next week on Binge Reading, to celebrate St. Patrick's Day in Ireland, we've got international best-selling thriller writer Catherine Ryan Howard and her latest nail writer, 
runtime. She talks about her pathway to, quotes, instant success, writing in lockdown, and her spreadsheet heaven. That's next week on The Joys of Binge Reading. That's it for today, and happy reading.